When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. of Purple Insider inside TCO Performance Center. And I'm going to make a noise to start the show. And if you know this noise, then you've been listening for a long time. Okay. If you have been listening to the show for a while, you know that means Ben Gessling of the Star Tribune is here. That's Ben Gessling's music. To look into the crystal ball of the Minnesota Vikings. You know, I look forward to this episode. And we do probably, what, a couple times a year where we start to look forward I really look forward to this every single time, Ben. So how are Always you? Fun. Great to see you. Good to see you too. Should be should be fun. Always the uh, the crystal ball bit has that dates back a long time, but uh, probably six seven years I would think. Okay, so but, I think the origin, if I'm not mistaken, well, it had to be 17 because was, that's when yes. Zim talked about a crystal ball. Yes, when Sam Bradford got hurt. Yep, and then he went out, and it was very mysterious. I think it was after week one. Yep, and we kept asking, as reporters want to do asking what's going on with Sam Bradford. And he eventually just got flustered and said, I don't have a crystal ball. And then I believe a local fortune teller sent him one. Yes. At some point that happened because then it, that was the season that got really hot and it morphed into all of this talk about, is the team cursed? Zimmer said, I don't believe in curses. And then it got into all of this. I think there was like something about a wood spirit in there too. There was all sorts of occult references throughout the course of that, um, mystical run to the nfc title game you know what's funny is that at the time it really did seem that way because after bradford got hurt delvin also got hurt yep and i mean i don't know about you but i thought that the season was pretty much over at that point i think both of their losses they had not reached 10 points so it was like they can't score I, i think i remember writing something about if they have to ride with Case Keenum the rest of the way, this is going to be trouble because they can't move the ball. And, you know, it shows what I know. <laughs> it got really hot after that, and the rest is history. But I know. Uh, Judd and I were on the radio one day talking about whether uh, Zim would, like, break the picket line and sign Kaepernick because yeah. it was after the Pittsburgh game, and they had looked so bad. And he was in such a bad mood after that game. Yes, right. They tried to throw a pass with the punter, and that didn't work out very good. And so we just thought, like, well, this Keenum guy, you just can't play. And then it really wasn't until past halfway through the season when Keenum actually started playing well. Yeah. They just kind of had a bunch of grind them out or hurt Aaron Rodgers type of wins. Right. And I remember saying to you in the locker room after Rodgers got hurt, I think we're covering an NFC North uh, champion yeah. right now, even yeah. with Case Keenum. Well, I think because the week before that was the game in Chicago where they tried to start Bradford and he couldn't go. I mean, basically couldn't make it through, couldn't protect himself on the field. So they pull him. Keenum brings them back in the second half. Didn't play great, but right. that was kind of him getting his second chance 
to have the job again because they made it very clear that night that Bradford couldn't do it. I mean, by putting Bradford out there and the fact that Bradford just couldn't function, they didn't really have another choice. Although there was all of the like, are they going to give Teddy the job back? And if Keenum had ever made a mistake, I think that probably would have happened. But it it never really did until the pick six in the NFC title game. I think that there was a conversation in the Carolina locker room between the wide receivers. Do you remember this? Sort the, of. The Carolina loss. When they where, lost, yep. Yeah. Keenum Thielen had caught an like a touchdown and bobbled and it was going to the ground, weird catch rule stuff that's now sort of gone. Yes, yes. And Keenum threw kind of a bad interception. He was a little bit all over the place. And I think that they were talking about whether they should advocate for Teddy Bridgewater coming back. Yeah. So even as funny as it was, the outside world was like, why don't you reporters believe in Case Keenum? It was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. There's a lot of folks inside the building, including one very loud head coach yes. that also was not buying. But, uh, you know, the rest is history, I guess. So uh, here's a place to start, though, because the Vikings under Zimmer did have their argument for being cursed. Kevin O'Connell most certainly does not. Right. And the early returns on their most recent first round draft pick, Jordan Addison, have been very good. Yes. Uh, You'll have to give your take along the way. But I I just think he's shown athletically everything that you thought was there. And I forget that he's 170 pounds because he's just making plays all the time. So that hasn't been a factor. But I want you to look into the crystal ball and... Tell me about Jordan Addison's season. What do you see? Do you see more receptions than K.J. Osborne? Do you see rookie of the year? Do you see hurt in week four? No, I'm just, I, I don't think we, we never predict injuries. But what, what, what do you see for his first season? I, looking at the crystal ball here, I see, I don't see rookie of the year because it's a year with a lot of quarterbacks that are going to be in the running for that, including the number one overall pick who, um, sounds like he's going to play in a preseason game, but you know will be the starter ostensibly the, the whole way through. So I don't see that, but I do see the type of year that makes it so that K.J. Osborne, who is going to be a free agent in March, is, you, would, you don't say expendable necessarily, but they are still going to be in a tough cap situation next year. So I see the sort of year that makes it so that K.J. Osborne is... Uh, going to have a hard argument for a new contract just because that would mean you'd have to pay a first-round pick on a rookie deal, Justin Jefferson getting a massive contract at some point, and pay K.J. Osborne. So I think, at least from what I see in the crystal ball at this point, Addison, I'm seeing like 60 catches for 800 yards. Oh, wow. Okay. And, uh, you know, a number of big plays in there. I think four or five touchdowns. A little foggy, but something like that. Are you, I think are you the seeing ball showing? him driving the speed? Let, come on. It had to be, <laughs> it had to be said. Uh, well, if he's going to do that, then yes. Yeah, I think we'll have to be driving the speed limit because if he's not, I don't think he will be on the field. And, and I do wonder if anything comes of that, like probably not suspension wise or yeah. whatever. Um, <laughs> he's lucky that he didn't like run over anything. Yes. And then if he did, uh, more serious implications would have happened. But uh that is a high bar to set 60 catches for 800 yards. That kind of sounds like you expect him to go down the field a little bit. And I do. And I I do think that Osborne. So it's funny to talk about with him and Osborne because both of them project a little better as inside wide receivers as opposed to outside. But you also want to use Jefferson that way. And I kind of feel like on a weekly basis, it might be 
Addison or it might be Osborne or it might be Hawkinson. It's not going to be a consistent yeah. every week he gets five catches. It's going to be like seven or two yep. because it's all going to depend on how Jefferson is covered. Yeah, I think that's right. I think they will have opportunities to go downfield with him. I, that's been one of the impressive things. And we knew he was a guy that could stretch the field, but he has handled contact. He has handled the ability to make catches in traffic, I think, in a way that makes you feel better about his size than perhaps what we thought coming into this. So, I mean, some of the more impressive plays he's made have been on some of those skinny posts where they've trusted him to make a play downfield, and he's made it more often than not. Now we'll see what that looks like in an actual game here at some point. But he has answered, I think, a lot of the questions that we had about him coming in and so far has done it in a way that makes you think they may have something here. How do you describe what you see with him? Because I've struggled with this. It's like, well, it's not enough to say he tracks the ball well. Yeah. Because that that feels like a little esoteric, but it also feels like not descriptive enough for me. Sure. Like because ball tracking is like what? They're they're NFL wide receivers. They should watch the ball go into their hands. Not but all of them do. They're oh, for certain they don't. And we've seen that from Jalen Rager on a number of occasions yep. in this camp. But Troy Williamson for the older listeners. Uh, of course, uh, there is something something about that. Somebody tweeted that uh, you know Williamson drop not too long ago. It has to be the most egregious drop in NFL <laughs> yeah. history. Yeah. There's no one around. Uh, there is something that you only know when you see. It's like a basketball player. You go to the park and there's one guy who's crossing everybody over, yeah. shooting fadeaways, and he's just like got it. And when Addison makes a toe tap back of the end zone catch in the night practice, you're like. I don't know that. Yeah. That's the yeah. thing. I, I know it when I see it. Yeah. The old, the famous, uh, I think it's Supreme Court definition of pornography. I yes. know it when I see it. With him, I think it comes down to efficiency of movement. His, his ability to contort himself, his ability to just do things in a way that looks fluid. Because, I mean, you'll see this like baseball is the, the thing I think of. We talk about a pitcher that's a max effort guy where yeah. every time he's throwing – a fastball, it looks like he's putting everything he has into it, and then you look at the radar gun, and it's like 89, which, you know, not a compliment there, as opposed to the guy that it just looks smooth, easy, fluid, and it's 95, 96 on the gun. There's a little bit of that with him where the efficiency of movement, the way in which he goes about his job just looks effortless. He he does a, a really good job of contorting himself. He does a good job of fighting off contact, um, getting downfield, being able to change gears. I, I think all of that stuff is there. And now if that's how much of that's innate and how much of that has been developed over the years, I, I don't think we know that at this point, but it, it has certainly looked like he's, you don't want to say finished product as a rookie, but he looks like he has all of the tools that you would need to play this position well in the NFL. I feel like there's a comparison of, I, I want to say he's like a Jamal Crawford. Remember Jamal Crawford? Yeah. Like just this incredibly smooth crossover where you just think, oh, well, that looks super easy. And then you pick up a basketball and you can't do any of it. <laughs> yeah. Like, wow. Okay. And most players can't. Where uh, Justin Jefferson is like a Vince Carter, where it's like size and power. Yeah. And when he mossed Byron Murphy, who's actually had a good camp, but yeah. <laughs> that poor guy. And uh, O'Connell was talking about a Caleb Evans. Like, he's been mossed a few times, but he's actually yeah, he's mossing six two corners. <laughs> right. Right. It was just like this leaping and power and Addison is not that right and yet they both achieve a lot of the same things speaking of the corner 
Whoa, the crystal ball is going off. Now it's it's upset. It looks angry. It's turning red. I see fire because I was going to ask about the cornerbacks. And I, I want to know what you think about this group, uh, because every time someone is asked to talk about the corners, yeah. they're like, look, I mean, they're they are studying. <laughs> they're looking around they're at football and trying, trying really hard. We love how hard they're trying. Uh I think the difference between the Vikings being like the 16th best defense in the league and the 32nd is a Caleb Evans and Makai Blackman. Yeah. I really like how Byron Murphy fits into this, but look into your crystal ball and tell me where they rank in pass defense and what we think of these corners by the end of the season. Yeah. Looking in there, I, I, yeah, I see a lot of the, the anger I see. It's, it's still there. I, it doesn't look like this is 16th in the league. It looks a little bit better, I think, than it did last year. I'm, I'm seeing like, I think that's like a 24 in terms of pass defense ranking, but it doesn't look happy enough to think that this this problem is fixed. And I, I think if that goes that way, it's going to be because you just need guys that know how to play the position at the NFL level, and there's really no substitute for experience in that spot. You are, however this slices out, you're counting on whether it's Andrew Booth, a Caleb Evans, Makai Blackman, somebody who has not played a hundred covered snaps in the NFL. You're counting on at least one of those guys to go out and do it for a full season. When you're going to have quarterbacks to get film on you, understand how to attack you, figure out schemes to put you in bad spots. It just is a lot to ask for, a group of young corners, even if they're talented, even if they're guys that were, you know, second round picks in the cases of Booth and Blackman, to go out and know everything that you need to do to play this position in the NFL, especially in a defense that's going to ask more of them in man coverage. And maybe that simplifies it. Maybe it's just go track your guy around the field and don't let him catch the ball. But um, you know, we saw it enough last year with young corners, and that's some of that matchups and, and zones and pass offs and that sort of thing. But we saw busted coverages happen as a result of that, and I think there's still going to be some of that this year. So when I look at just the start of the season, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, Chargers, so you know that they're yeah. going to pass the heck out of the football, yep. and Kellen Moore is now their offensive coordinator, and then uh, Carolina, well, you know, uh, Adam Thielen, I guess. Yeah. But uh, Kansas City, doesn't matter who their receivers are. No, it doesn't. And, and they're going to have to go against Travis Kelsey with these linebackers that's Jordan Hicks. And I do I want to say like somewhat question marks at this point? I mean, like if Ivan Pace is in the mix, Chicago, who knows? And then San Francisco. So th you start off with a very, yeah. very difficult slate of teams with tons of weapons. And I tend to agree with you that better is right, but how much better is pretty questionable. Yeah. And in part because even though Daniil Hunter is back, I still watch who else is playing with Daniil Hunter and go, I don't know where the sacks are. Yeah. And they have to be in the blitzes. So how much does Brian Flores factor into what you're seeing in the crystal ball about where they rank? I think it's a lot of it. I think some of the improvement comes from plays where you're able to put quarterbacks under duress and that helps corners do their job because maybe there's interceptions or tipped passes that come out of that when quarterbacks are throwing off platform, they're throwing with a rusher in their face, that sort of thing. But it's really, really hard to expect this group is just going to stand on his own two feet if you're not getting pressure on the quarterback. And the blitzes, I think, are going to have to be a big part of getting home because Daniil Hunter 
is the most proven pass rusher they have, but he has not been 15, 16 sacks a year type guy since, what, 2019 was the last time? Uh, yeah, that's right, because yeah. 2020 was the tweak. 2020 was the tweak, and then 21 was the peck. So you had you need somebody opposite him to turn into a bigger threat, whether that's Marcus Davenport or Ivan Pace, Andre Carter. Ivan Pace will be more in the middle. But you need people to emerge, I think, because it's hard to just say we're going to be able to blitz 35 40% of the time, and that's going to account for all of the pressure that we need. Are you seeing anything from Lewis Seen as part of this defense when you look into the future? Because right now, see, one of the issues with Lewis Seen is that he just isn't like a Metellus in that you can bring him up to the box, yeah. have him read a bunch of stuff super fast. I mean, if you're going to be the box safety, this is why Troy Polamalu is in the box. Yeah. Because he's a genius. Like he, and, and why Harrison Smith is up there, unless Ed Donatell has decided he hates him <laughs> and is going to play him 700 miles from the ball. But like the closer you are to the ball, I think the more tricky it can be yeah. to read stuff because it happens so fast. So he's got to be like a deep safety I just don't know where that fits in unless someone gets hurt. Yeah, I agree. And we have not seen them do anything to suggest that they are trying to kind of ratchet him up the depth chart. Josh Metellus has gotten those opportunities in part because Josh Metellus, and you see it when what he's yelling at other players from the sideline sometimes too, In whether he's on the field or whether he's on the sideline, he's engaged. He is on top of what needs to happen, as Harrison Smith put it, he knows enough to teach this defense if yeah. he needed to do it. And this is a, a scheme change for him, too. So he is getting opportunities in part because of those things. We are not seeing the same thing from Lewis Seen. And I think it's going to be a while before he's got all that figured out. Because I, I, we even saw some of that last year before he got hurt. It was how much of this is he picking up? How much of it does he have under his fingers, so to speak? Um I think there's still that question with him, and I think that is going to be what delays a larger role in the defense for him, at least for the time being. And I, I think it's too early if he doesn't come out of this camp as a starter, which just doesn't seem like it's trending that yeah. way at all. I, I think that by now we would have at least seen a mix of reps because yep. it's always a progression. You know this, but it's like, okay, second team reps, and then, oh, he's in in that situation. And right, then, right. then like, oh, he's in more, and now he's in all the time. That's what the, the Makai Blackman over yep. Juwan Williams thing, uh, literally the day after I wrote about Juwan Williams, that happened. <laughs> yeah, as, it always as, goes that as, way. As it always happens. But that's the progression. And that's we why I wrote seen... my Kellen Mond story and made sure it was published before he took a snap in the preseason. Last yes, time. yes, yes. That's You get those in early when you know a guy's got a good story, but he might lose that spot. Yep. Uh, but in, in this case, it's not like Cam Bynum is the Jesse Davis of the program from last year. Yeah. Like Cam Bynum's a starter, and they seem to view him that way. And th these are the two of the most high football IQ, him and Metellus players, I think that we've covered. I mean, when I think of the high smarts guys, the the Terrence Newmans, Patrick Petersons, like those veterans. Yeah. But as far as like young players being on top of it, they are like way up there. Um, so I just don't see that situation changing anytime soon. No, and I don't think they're going to force it to change simply because of where he was picked. I mean, you have not seen them operate that way with this group. It, I mean, even with the idea that Caleb Evans is ahead of Andrew Booth, which I, I think is probably the case even before Andrew Booth is getting hurt. Yeah. That tells you they are not just sitting here saying, well, draft status gives you a million chances to be the number one guy. They are going to make you earn that, and I, I would expect nothing less from 
Brian Flores, a coach that came out of the Bill Belichick system, because they never have given a lot of deference to high draft picks anyway. So I think he's going to have to earn it. It's going to have to show that he understands the defense well enough to carve out a role. And maybe they'll find it for him. It seems like they are going to use a lot more personnel with this defense than what we've seen, which means certain guys could have certain packages where we see them a little bit more often, but he's going to have to find one of those or make them find one for him by the way he plays. We're starting to get the Kevin O'Connell read between the lines. Like we've got a sample size now. And so I asked him about Caleb Evans today and he just went on and and not in a rambling way, but in a specifics way about what he liked. And even a follow-up question, he had a lot more to say is like, they're very clearly enthusiastic about a Caleb Evans. There wasn't that like, hey, guys, don't forget about Andrew Booth Jr. It's like, nope. I don't know. He just seems out of sight, out of mind. And no matter how much nicer Kevin O'Connell is, all football people believe that the best ability is availability. Yes. And I just think that Booth is probably driving them insane by never being around. Uh, let, oh, oh, it's now it's burning. Now it's smoking the crystal ball. I, and Do we need to wait, call somebody about this? Or? In, in the smoke, I'm seeing something emerge. Can you see it? It's a... It's up near the wall. Yeah. And it's yeah. it's a lion head. What is that? What does it mean? Oh, the lions. Do you see what I'm seeing in the crystal ball that the lions will emerge over the Vikings in the NFC North and be a, a Super Bowl contender it says? What oh, this, boy. this thing might be broken. Yeah. Uh what what are you believing this? I'm, this is what the crystal, uh, what it's I, doing? The the way it's acting, I'm not sure. I'm not entirely sure that I do. I don't. Know, we may need to go get take this thing in to the, the crystal, our local crystal ball technician mm-hmm. at the mall. At the mall, yeah. They, you know, they'll have it in and out in an hour for thirty nine ninety nine. It's great. You can go get your your uh, soft pretzel and your smoothie and be back and have your crystal ball fixed in an hour or less. Um, no, at least as it looks at the moment, though, I don't see it quite that way oh really i think at least this is what i'm seeing i the lions look like a playoff team to me but i don't see super bowl contender i just i think there's enough weird juju about jared goff from the crystal ball and again this thing may be malfunctioning but there's enough questions about is this guy going to be able to do it over the course of a season that I think there's a little bit of reason for trepidation with the Lions. I do think they're talented enough to win the division. I think the division's wide open. But Jared Goff was awfully good last year, and the question of whether he'll be able to do that again is the one that I'm still sort of wanting to see answered before kind of running away on the Lions hype train. And I, I remember at the end of last season, I was sitting there just with it as everybody else was saying, right now this is, looks like the team to beat mm-hmm. in the NFC North. But I think I want to see a little more from Jared Goff before we uh, we go say that for sure. Okay, I got, I got out one of those like uh, dust towels that's sort of magnetized to suck in the dust. Yeah. And I squeegeed it off a little bit. And I'm seeing a pie chart of the percentage chance that each team wins the division, but I, I can't make out the numbers. So maybe you can see the yeah, pie chart. Is, what is the percentage chance that the Lions, Vikings, Packers, Bears win the division? I, I, it looks to me like we, we definitely need to get this thing taken in. It, I think I'm seeing like 35% Lions, uh, 35% Vikings, 
20% Packers and 10% Bears. I, I think that's about what it is. Yeah, that yeah. adds up, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, which I, I think is about how I would see it. I The Packers are interesting to me because it's a talented enough defense that you have a lot of guys that need to figure some things out, but there's enough talent around Jordan Love that if he puts it together year one, they may be right in the mix. I just – Again, it's how do you know with a guy like that before you go see him do it? Yeah, I think that um, all of that, like there's so many questions with this division. If they weren't named the Lions, I think we'd be yep. talking about them differently. I think that, that's probably true. That I, really sits in the back of everyone's mind, and, and fairly. I mean, yeah. their history says that for sure. Which is such a weird thing because it's like we talk about this as it, as this consistent thing that's going to happen all the time because it has always happened, but you're talking about that's across GMs, that's across head coaches, that's across different quarterbacks, probably even across different members of the Ford family owning the team. Yeah. But there's just this thing that's like, well, it's Alliance. So, and that has been proven out by history most of the time, but there's no logical reason why that always needs to be the case. Just like there's no logical reason why the Vikings always have to be the team that stubs their toe when they're a step from the Super Bowl. I think that uh, with this Lions team, if I can see one thing that could get them is if Amon Ross St. Brown gets hurt or yep. gets taken out of some games, that like who's your other answer? And last year they didn't really have that, uh, but they did seem to get the ball into the hands of some playmakers. They you get can't your... bet on Jamison Williams right now either. Right. Oh, yeah. Wow. Uh, he went there. I did. Um, it, it, it wasn't football, though, at least. Otherwise, yeah. he'd be out for the whole year. Yep. But that's – I mean, it's absolutely true, even pun included, that like – okay, he's going to come back after six games, but you just have no idea where he's going to fit into that entire mix. I think we all like Jamison Williams' college football tape, yeah. but now we're a long way separated from that. And even when he came back from the ACL, aside from a touchdown against the Vikings, there was nothing to speak of from him. So you can't guarantee that. I wonder if that factored into them not going out to get anybody but um getting jameer gibbs claiming that he's going to be a wide receiver too i hate when i hear that because i yeah. just it never comes true the the next marshall falk just never walks through the door which real quick by the way can i tell you of a funny stat that i landed on the other day sure leroy horde averaged more yards per catch than marshall falk for his career no he did not yes he did now yeah. how many catches <laughs> is that average it doesn't over? matter like four well, I mean, Leroy Horde actually caught a fair number of passes. I suppose like, he had a lot of swing passes. Yeah, I mean, he was also around for a long time. But yeah. Marshall Falk was catching like 100. Right. It was just that uh, I, you know, whatever. Leroy Horde came up as sort of a comp for Alexander Madison. Okay. I was like, I think Leroy had better hands than people gave him credit for. Yeah, so, yeah, I, I, yeah, I can remember a few kind of the swing pass type things. Exactly. They, they weren't like Cleveland. going down the field. And no. neither will Jameer Gibbs, by the way. Yeah. Like, no one ever does. I see these clips of B. John Robinson running around to juking people. Like, okay, yeah, right. We'll see. We'll yeah. see. It doesn't happen very often. Um, so I, the point just being that I think that they have the most complete team in the NFC North. Maybe the third or fourth most complete team in the NFC, probably yeah. behind Philly, Dallas, and San Francisco. Francisco. And yet the golf factor, I always give golf a lot of respect because he has throttled this team sometimes. Yes, he has. It still holds you back from thinking, like, can it be 14 or 13 right. or 12 wins, right. or is it more like 10? And that leaves the door open for the Vikings. Uh, and I, th I guess the, the question is, 
how are you feeling about this Vikings team this far in camp to make the assessment that they should have an equal chance with the Lions? Because I would probably yeah. go 40 to 45 percent Lions mm-hmm. and then fill in the, the same order as you had. I would go a little farther into their camp, but uh, I guess that means that you have been impressed so far. I have. I think I bank on the fact they are going to move the ball oh yeah more effectively than probably just about anybody else in the division I, I there is at least more in there in the sort of we know what they're going to get column between Justin Jefferson TJ Hawkinson they have a veteran quarterback that has been productive now Goff has also had his productive moments too I, I would think over the body of work surely in terms of production you'd take Kirk Cousins over Jared Goff I think Alexander Madison, I don't think they, the running game drops off that much from what they had last year. And I think Jordan Addison adds a fair amount to this. So I bank more on the offensive side of things than the defensive side of things. I, I think a lot of these games are going to be 45-38. And you're going to have a lot of shootouts every week. But oh, yeah, yeah it, it's I, just more on the offense. I think there's a little bit more to go with the Vikings to say they will have what they need to win some of these shootouts. Cause the thing with the lions too, is that secondary last year was not very good. And there was a, that was a group that I think the first time the Vikings played them, it was all the pass interference and illegal contact type things. And that group needs to get better as well for the lions to make a run. I, I, I think both of these teams are probably nine or 10 win ceilings with the Vikings. It could go, Less than that, I could see that with the Lions as well. But that is I kind of where I have them both in that group of could win the division, could get in, and then beyond that, you have a lot of the same questions about their ability to overtake the Phillies and the San Francisco's of the NFC. Okay, it's acting up again. Something's happening. Oh, boy. Uh, 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 oh, well, now this is very interesting. On, on at least my side of the table looking at the crystal ball, I'm seeing Quasi Adafalmenta on the phone. What is he on the phone for? What could he be calling for? It it looks like it's draft night. Could that mean trading up for a quarterback? Ooh. What could what could that mean? It seems like he's gathering together his draft picks. Everyone's cheering in the draft room. Just high fives and bro hugs. Quarter yeah, quarterback highlights. Mike Mayock is yelling. Uh, he's still mad at the Christian Ponder pick. I don't know what's going on. Uh, it could be like a fever dream with this thing sometimes. The future of the quarterback is weirdly hovering over this training camp yeah. because Kirk Cousins said, I don't care. Like, I'll play it out. You do whatever you want to do. If right. you're not going to extend me for three years, then forget it. And that's fine, I guess, with everybody because they said that's fine. Yeah. And now we're all like, oh, but there's a season to be played, and it's this very – it's like it should be more uncomfortable, but Zimmer's not here, so it's kind of fine. Yeah. But do we think that this changes? Do we think that they win the division and Kirk stays? Do we think that uh, if they are anything short of an NFC championship appearance that Kirk goes or that Kirk is like, ha, you had your chance twice. Yeah. No, I'm signing with the – I don't know who. But Rams or uh, something. Yo, could be San Francisco yeah. uh, after this year's quarterback debacle doesn't work out for them. Yeah. But w- what are you uh, feeling about the quarterback situation on the whole? Yeah, it is the thing that hovers over everything. And I think your read on it is right. I, I think if they went on a run that answered a lot of these questions about Kirk Cousins, 
once and for all, and we feel like we say this every year, I think there's a chance they re-sign him. I, I don't, from people I've talked to, I don't believe they have ruled that out. I also know, though, they were very interested in moving up for one of those top three quarterbacks this year to the point where if it had fallen, and they didn't have the draft capital to move way up to what it would have needed, but if Anthony Richardson had slipped to like seven or eight, mm-hmm. I 100% think they would have been trying very hard to get him. It, it wasn't going to happen where he went, but that also means that they are thinking very seriously about the future of this position and very intrigued by the idea that we could find a 22, 23-year-old that has a high ceiling and we get four or five years of him at an affordable price, which means we also can build around him and we can kind of grow him with Justin Jefferson. They have certainly looked at that possibility, and I think if there's an opportunity to get up there next year for Caleb Williams or Drake May, they are not beyond going to do that. Even And people say, yeah, it's going to cost a lot. Yes, it is. And they know that. But it's also one of those things where if you get a quarterback that you think is the guy who can be the guy for 10, 12 years, can be elite at the position, and then give you several years of elite play at an affordable price especially, it's hard to make the case that a, a few – draft a few first round draft picks is too much to spend for that now you could miss the guy completely Mm -hmm. and we've seen a lot of teams do that hello Chicago Bears but if you find the right guy it's almost the return you get on that is almost so high that it's hard to make the case that stopping at anything to get that guy is the right way to go so that where they've put themselves in a position is uh, you ever heard the saying like "Don't let perfect be the enemy of good yes. or better"? Yep. They because they passed on Will Levis, which I was fine with. Yep. Because they passed on Kenny Pickett, which I was mostly fine with. Uh, that I mean, I did think that. I mean, they ended up with Lewis Seen. So would you have rather have seen like Kenny Pickett starting for them this year with this group of receivers? I don't know. Anyway, Addison and Pickett, they had yep. some good history, but whatever. I'm not touting that guy as the next like big quarterback in sure. the league, but. Okay, so May and Williams might go one and two. Right. And the teams that might get them might be horrible and the whatever. Right. So in the draft, they may have to say, who's the next best option? And is this good enough for us? I mean, you go back to like the Baltimore Ravens drafted a tight end before they took Lamar Jackson. And then he's a franchise player. And Mahomes was like 10th and Allen was eighth and... Baker Mayfield was the number one pick that year. And it's just sometimes the best guy doesn't go first. But I think also that a lot of times what we've seen from Quasi, it seems, is, and he's in a position to do this, is that if it's not been at his price, he hasn't done it. Yep. But with this quarterback, it might have to be, even if it's even if you have questions, even if you have concerns, you might have to just do it anyway, because it's really random whether those guys turn yeah. out. And and also, you're in a position where if you lose Kirk, what are you doing? Like, you're going to bring yeah. in Andy Dalton or something? Like, you've got to take a swing at it. And that's what happens when you don't take a swing at it before is now you're forced to potentially go for something that you don't entirely believe in. But randomness would tell you that's actually okay. Yeah, the, that is the the complicating factor here is they put themselves in that position of – you know, almost like your fantasy draft where, well, the first running back is gone and now I'm desperate. I'm going to overpay for the second one and pay more than I would have for the first one. You could see them getting into that spot. I, At least at this point, though, I don't think 
their philosophy is we are going to let ourselves be backed in on a quarterback where right. it's just take one just to take one. I think if they don't sign Kirk and they don't find a quarterback that they want right away, they would do the bridge starter thing for a year. I I think at least philosophically their approach has been it's got to be somebody that we love and maybe you find that guy at 12 or 14 and maybe he slips and and you're fine but I don't think they're just going to say well you know we need a quarterback we need somebody to fill that spot let's take one in the first round because then you're kind of stuck with that guy for well we've seen that on you know that squirrel on the loop a few times with Christian Ponder or Teddy Bridgewater, well, we need a quarterback. Here's one. Let's take him. Let's talk him up. Say he's the next guy, and then it turns out he's not, and then just go do it again. I don't think they're going to go that way. I I think their approach has been, if we're taking one in the first round, it has to be somebody that is high level enough to be worth it. Otherwise, it's a lot of pressure on that player. It's a lot of pressure on the overall direction of the organization to say we have to now be behind this guy and be in his camp for three years. I, I think they want to stay out of that sort of ponder loop, let's mm-hmm. call it, yep. as much as they can. But you also want to stay out of the journeyman quarterback thing, yep. which you can really get tied into. You can. If you, I mean, well, look we've at, seen it. like Tampa Bay, I, they draft Kyle Trask, I don't know, and now they're kind of going to Baker, and what does Tampa Bay do next yeah. with their quarterback situation? How about Atlanta? Like yeah. They got Desmond Ritter, who I don't believe in at all. Washington has been bringing in randos, so you have to take swings even if you don't buy into it, which I don't think that they want to do, but sometimes you have to. Now, yeah. speaking of journeyman quarterbacks, oh boy, this would not be a collar guessling production without some Guess the crappy quarterbacks. Yes, the Vikings will play at Seattle against the Seattle Seahawks. The tenth leading passer in Seattle Seahawks history is Tavares Jackson. Oh my gosh! Who are the other nine? Who are the other top nine? passers? Oh my. In Seattle Seahawks history. Okay. Um, I'll take the easy ones first. Matt Hasselbeck. Number two. Dave Craig. Number three. Uh, uh, Russell Wilson. Number one. Geno Smith has to be in there. Geno Smith is eighth, which tells you about Seahawks history. Let's see. Who else then? Um, Rick Meyer is not in there, is he? He is oh, fifth. Oh, dear God. He started 55 games. This is a games, bad list. Went 20. Oh, I guess it might have, must have been 51 games. 20 and 31 and threw uh, 41 touchdowns and 56 picks. Good times for Rick Meyer. <laughs> wow. Uh, let's and, see And that's here. better than he did in other places. Kelly Holcomb's not on the list, is he? Uh, he is not. Okay. Uh, was Steve DeBerg there? Steve DeBerg I mean, is a great journeyman guest just for the name, but I don't see him no. anywhere on this list. So are we at Hintland already? Uh, no. Okay. Let me think here. That who would have been between like Dave Craig and Hasselbeck? I mean, I feel like it's in that there, range that I need to be looking. There is, a guy, there is a guy who you would definitely know. Yep. Uh, played for the Lions, the Bengals, um, Bald guy. Carson Palmer was really unhappy when they got rid of this guy as his Boy, backup. Okay. Um, Lions, Bengals. John Kitna. Correct. Yes. Yes. John yes. Kitna. Yeah, sixth, he had a little bit of a run there. Sixth in history. Uh, did you say the former, the other former Viking on the list? Uh, I don't think I did. 97 uh, and 98. Put up some huge stats there. 
97, I mean, 98 for the Seahawks. NFL legend. Played for the Vikings, threw for a million yards. NFL legend. Well, Randall Cunningham threw. Jeff George. No. Jeff George wasn't in Seattle. Was before he? that. Before Jeff George, before Randall Cunningham. Oh, pff, Warren Moon. I was going to say, it's actually too easy. Like yes. You're probably trying yes. too hard. Yes. You said Geno, so I think yep. you have everyone except for one guy. And I will give you the best hint. Okay. On Madden, you absolutely would have taken this guy, <laughs> and you would have made him Michael Vick Jr., on like Madden, let's see, would have been like 05, okay. Madden 07. Th- th- this guy was fun to play video games it's with, played like for Seneca Seattle. Wallace? It is, yes. Wow. You nailed it. Seneca Wallace. And then, Seneca Wallace now, what is I'm actually, top 10. I'm actually surprised that you didn't uh, say was John Freeze. He was 11. Yeah. I would have had him Oh, yeah. Because he was with the Chargers, too, I think. Yes, yes. I think and, I was living in San Diego at the point where John Freeze was playing for the Chargers, which is probably why that name's in my head. And uh, you have Trent Dilfer after yep. that was uh, briefly with them. Some other great names include Charlie Whitehurst, Dan McGuire, Dan McGuire, Brock Heward, Glenn Foley. Did I, we have like a Dan McGuire riff on this podcast we did. once? Yes. If anyone wants the to visor. see the f- funniest NFL quarterback ever, high draft pick Dan McGuire. It's six foot eight. Yep. Just throwing Mark's ridiculous brother. Passes. Yes. Uh, he is. Yes. Yep. Actually, Mark McGuire, his brother. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking for any other funny uh, G. Oh, Gino Tor- uh, Tortetta or Toretta. I mean, Gino Toretta. Yes. Yeah, the him? old uh, University of Miami quarterback and uh, Matt Flynn, yep. who signed a big contract to go there after that one game with the Packers and then uh, got Wally Pipp by Russell Wilson. Finished his career as a Seahawk five for nine with 68 yards. <laughs> Not <laughs> a leading a lot passer. of money for 68 yards of passing. It is. It's a, you know, it's good to be a quarterback. Uh, yeah, it is. Ben, thank you for doing this always, always fun always good to get together for the crystal ball and, i mean a double dip here crystal balls and crappy quarterbacks the random quarterbacks that's the uh, that's certainly the brand when we get together so uh and you guys do the access vikings podcast yep. so people should absolutely listen to that they know where to find you in the yes. daily newspaper uh of record in the twin Cities. so anyway or minneapolis sorry dane <laughs> anyway <laughs> <laughs> okay they, that's, yeah the uh the, the saint paul subscribers are loyal to uh the competitor they, they are they've had they a, are. a hearty uh subscriber base over there for a long time but dane is i mean he's fighting the battle it's hard to replace a legend it is before you yep. so he's coming along well though, yep but, it's uh, uh it's a it's a tall order to replace somebody who really can't be replaced but it, you do what you can <laughs> all right we'll catch y'all later thanks for listening